0: I want to just jump right in. Uh, the five people before us right now are Nathaniel Fick, who's to be uh, the ambassador at large for cyberspace and digital policy. Um, I am so happy that we are looking at cyberspace and digital policy and having someone up to lead that. We thank the president for that nomination. Uh, we also have Mr. Uh, Michael Schiffer, to be assistant administrator for Asia and U.S. Agency for International development, USAID, and we're very excited about that. Perhaps at this point there should be a hush in the crowd because we were about to introduce someone from New Jersey. Um, <laughs> I, I want to uh, introduce uh, Ms. Rachana Korhonen, uh, 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 who is from, of course, the Garden State to be ambassador to the Republic of Mali. And then we have Lucy, uh, Ms. Lucy Tamlin to be ambassador to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And finally, Miss Jessica Davis Bay uh, to be ambassador to the Republic of Côte d'Ivoire. And I am uh, very happy to see, as some of you have already seen, uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, people uh, in the United States Senate, uh, Senator Angus King from Maine. He's going to be introducing the man to his right. Uh, Mr. Nathaniel Fick. Uh, Senator King, you are recognized. You can give your remarks. I know that we are in one of the most demanding weeks in the United States Senate. So after your remarks, no one will look askance at you if you leave and duck out. You're recognized.
1: Senator, thank you very much. I was excited when you said I was one of your favorite people, but then you qualified by saying in the United States Senate. So that that narrowed it somewhat substantially. Uh, I'm delighted to be with you this, this morning and uh, to introduce uh, uh, Nate Fick, but uh, I want to begin by a little bit of a description of the office that he's going to be taking and how important it is. Uh, as, as, as you and the, and the Vice Chair know, uh, I worked for uh, several years on cybersecurity policy for this country as part of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. One of our principal recommendations uh, was the creation of an office or a bureau in the State Department to deal with international issues relating to cyber. And they can be anything from coordinating uh, international response to a cyber attack, to establishing norms and standards in cyberspace, a kind of Geneva Convention of Cyber, and also uh, participating in international panels that set standards for the Internet that frankly this country has not been as active in as we should be. This recommendation has been turned into something called the Cyber Diplomacy Act, uh, which has passed the House and is going to be considered in the near future by this committee. I commend it to you as an urgent piece of legislation. What it does is codify the the concept of an office within the the office of of the State Department uh, to confront and deal with these issues. The idea is we want someone who gets up every morning thinking about the international ramifications of cyber, and that's what this office will do. Now, Mr. Fick has been appointed to head a Bureau of Cyber Policy uh, in the State Department, but this is a creation of the administration. I commend the administration for taking the initiative to create this office within uh, within the State Department, but I believe we also need legislation to codify the existence of the office, so it's not something that may come and go with the whim of a particular administration. So, uh, you're going to be seeing the the uh, Cyber Diplomacy Act. Uh, I believe it was scheduled originally for today. It's been postponed because of the the NATO activity this afternoon. But uh, I hope that you will give prompt consideration to that bill. Uh, it's been uh, uh, has a lot of work gone into it, and I look forward to working with you on its. Uh, hopefully prompt enactment. Now, let me uh, introduce uh, Nate Fick. Uh, he's from Maine. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, yeah, there are, there are some other things. Uh, uh, actually, uh, if you took a blank sheet of paper and tried to design a person to fit this uh, new position, uh, you would have come up with uh, someone of, of uh, Nate Fick's Uh, uh, extraordinary qualifications and background. Uh, A Marine, I made the mistake once of calling uh, Senator Roberts a former Marine. He informed me there's no such thing as a former Marine. If you're a Marine, you're a Marine. Uh, And he served in Iraq and Afghanistan, later served as the CEO of a nonprofit, uh, the Center for New American Security, at which time he dealt with issues of cyber and international ramifications of cyber. Uh, he then has worked in the private sector as a as an as a uh, the CEO of a of a software company uh, again involved in issues of cyber. He has a, uh, a degree in uh, policy from the Kennedy Center and also business from the Harvard Business School. Uh, immensely well qualified, very thoughtful, engaged in this issue, and I think, as I said, I cannot uh, imagine a better candidate uh to fulfill this position and the fact that he's from the state of maine is is simply gravy Uh, but uh, mr chairman i commend uh, nathan fick to you and i apologize i do have to uh, go off to a hearing of the rules committee on the electoral count act which is a matter of some uh, concern to all of us so uh, i appreciate your courtesy this morning and uh, look forward to working with the committee to advance this nomination thank you
0: We're honored that you're here, the spirit of Joshua Chamberlain, uh, one of the greatest American heroes who happens to be from Maine is looking down upon the two of you with pride. I now want to move on to uh, a person of the 535 of us that serve in the United States uh, Senate and Congress. Uh, This is one of the handful that when they walk in the room, people take note. Uh, We are very fortunate to have Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton here. Um, and she will be introducing. And forgive me, I've been sitting on the dock of the bay too long. But Miss Jessica Davis uh, Ba, forgive me, uh, right now, Miss um, uh, Norton, you are recognized. You hear me? I can. I'm not sure if the microphone is on. Yes, you're, okay. you're good to go. Uh,
2: Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member. <clears throat> I appreciate the opportunity to introduce my constituent, Jessica Davis Ba, to be the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Cote d'Ivoire. She brings the experience and credentials to be an excellent ambassador, a fifth generation Washingtonian who grew up in the Shepherd Park neighborhood of the District of Columbia. Ms. Davis Ba has worked for the last 20 years in the State Department. She currently serves as the senior advisor to the Bureau of African Affairs, where she focuses on recruitment, selection, and retention of foreign service officers, in particular officers of color. Prior to this assignment, she served in Nigeria, Guinea, Kenya, Somalia, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Ethiopia, and Chad. She also worked in the office of Vice President Kamala Harris and her, as her special advisor for Africa and senior coordinator of the National Security Affairs team, where she coordinated the work of advisors on national security and global issues and engaged on the vice president's behalf with the National Security Council to develop US foreign policy. Ms. Davis-Bah has been awarded numerous academic fellowships and State Department awards, including the One Team Award and was named a, quote, top 50 among 50 US National Security and Foreign Affairs leader by the center for strategic and international studies and the diversity in national security network in 2021 a graduate of the university of pennsylvania Ms. davis ba received a bachelor's degree in international relations and environmental studies and a master's degree in communications specializing in the use of media to empower underrepresented people to make their own image and have their voices heard. I very much appreciate uh, the committee for moving on Ms. Davis-Bah's nomination.
0: Congresswoman, we again appreciate your presence here before us. We all take note of that and we thank you for that eloquent introduction. You may take your leave at any time. I know there are a lot of demands on on your time and in a very busy day. So thank you uh, very much for being here. I'd like to proceed now with the remainder of the introductions if I may. may. Uh, The first, it's an absolute pleasure to introduce uh, a particularly special nominee uh, to every member uh, and staffer on this committee today, and that is Michael Schiffer, the President's nominee to be the Assistant Administrator for the Asia Bureau of USAID. I'd like to thank that we on this committee taught him every single thing that he knows. Um, uh, But really, uh, unfortunately, I must confess publicly, it's probably the other way around. Uh, He has been an extraordinary staffer, he's been a senior advisor and counselor on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee staff, coordinating Asia-related policy. Mr. Schiffer brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to his job where he has shown an extraordinary commitment to this committee, its mission, and to ensuring that US, policy, U.S. foreign policy represents the best of our collective shared American values. No matter how many rounds of text negotiations we put him through, he somehow has survived and is better for it. Mr. Chairman, can I ask you to just yield for one moment? I will yield to you at any time, Senator
3: Carter. I just want to add my appreciation to, to, to Mike Schiffer. Uh, I chaired the East Asia and Pacific Subcommittee, and he was the principal staff person. And you're right. It was just the reverse. We've learned so much from his experience. Uh, He's such a dedicated public servant. I know he'll do well in the executive branch. We're going to miss him in the legislative branch. I just really want to thank him for his service on this committee and to the members of our committee.
0: I I thank you for that added uh, hallelujah and amen. We would call it in my church. I appreciate that, that testifying. Um, I just want to continue and say that Mr. Schiffer served uh, as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for, of Defense for East Asia and worked uh, for the Honorable Diane Feinstein, Senator from California, Senior National Security Advisor and Legislative Director. Prior to working for the Department of Defense, uh, Mr. Schiffer worked on, for the Stanley Foundation, where he was a program officer responsible for Asia programs. He was a Council on Foreign Relations uh, um, Hitachi International Affairs Fellow in Japan, and he served as Director of the International Securities Program at New York University's Center for War, Peace, and News Media. In addition to his public service, Mr. Schiffer has also had some colorful life experiences, including managing a bed and breakfast in, I don't know why not New Jersey, but in Hawaii. Um, I look forward to quizzing the nominee on the best uh, bagel spots uh, for this New Jersey boy if I visit uh, the island. Mr. Schiffer's regional experience and intricate knowledge of Congress make him an excellent candidate to oversee the Asia Bureau's development assistant programs, budget, and allocation of resources. As the US ga- grapples with complex challenges, immense opportunities in the Indo-Pacific region from strategic competition with, Japan, with China, to the current global food crisis, from mitigating the impact of climate change to combating emerging infectious diseases, from preventing um, democratic blacksliding to protecting the human rights of minority uh, minority communities. There is a lot to do. I look forward to hearing from him uh, on the importance of US engagement in the region and how USAID can foster sustainable, resilient, and in innovative development. I want to congratulate you on your nomination. And before I move on to the next nominee, you should know that usually the tradition is that Chris Murphy, on his birthday, usually runs a marathon. But instead of doing the 27 miles today, he is here uh, to to, to be here for you. So that's a, a particular honor. All right. We now move to the great, we put her in the center to mark her importance uh, from New Jersey. I wanna again, Rachna, uh, Sachdeva, uh, Korhonen, I wanna thank you for being here. You hail from Hunterdon County, the mighty Hunterdon County. And you're joined today by your beautiful family who had a chance to briefly meet. meet, uh, meet uh, your, your husband, uh, uh, Juha, your mother, Mina, and your two sons. I am grateful for them being here. You are a career member of the uh, Senior Foreign Service. You are currently serving as the Executive Director of the Combined Executive Offices of the State Department's Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs and Bureau of South and Central Asian Affairs. Previously, you were the Council General and Principal Officer for the U.S. uh, Consulate uh, to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Your experience is vast. You led the management section of the U.S. Embassy in, uh, in Sri Lanka and in Washington. You served as a special assistant to the Undersecretary for Management. Among your other assignments, you served in various capacities at embassies all across the Middle East. Before joining the State Department, you worked in multiple leadership positions in the private sector, and you bring that rare combination of private and public center experience at the highest of levels. Uh, Now that I've listed your resume, let me say this. Once confirmed, you will bring leadership, experience, character, and a dedication and passion to this nation's security and economic success. It is so valuable that you are before us right now. And Mali, especially, was once seen as a democratic leader. It's now become the epicenter of conflict inst- instability over the past decade, emblem- em- uh, ex- uh, exemplifying the challenges we're having in the Sahel region. Military officers uh, we've seen have led to the overthrow of an elected president just as recently as August of 2020, which seemed, unfortunately, to be that part of, the, of, of a trend, uh, really fueling governance challenges in that entire re- region. We know the crisis that we're seeing in the Sahel region. And we know that in May of 2021, uh, soldiers overthrew the civilian transitional leaders whom they had put in place and put in a a transition president in 2021. We know that Islamist insurgents affiliated with al-Qaeda and the Islamic State are active in much of central and northern Mali. Further, the conflict has affected parts of the country and and, and parts of the country are experiencing serious crisis level food insecurity. Mali has one of the world's highest rates of acute malnutrition. It is clear that the UN peacekeeping mission in Mali is not enough to prevent mass suffering, instability and death and potentially the spread of greater and greater terrorist activities. It's clear that the US must do more and we must have the most talented people possibly serving in our efforts in Mali. So I want to congratulate you on your nomination. I am sobered by the challenges before you, but I am looking forward uh, to hearing from you on how you will assess the United States' priorities in Mali, how you will uh, meet the challenges and bring your inner jersey to bear on a difficult situation. I now am grateful uh, to have a privilege of introducing another person going to another very uh, challenging region, Miss Lucy uh, Tamlin. Uh, Ms. Tamlin is the nominee to be the ambassador to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, She is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service and is currently the charge de affairs for the U.S. Embassy in Sudan. Uh, We're very, very grateful for your work there currently. Previously, she served as the U.S. Ambassador to the Central African Republic, U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Benin, and as Deputy Chief of Mission in the US embassies in Portugal and in Chad. In addition, she has experience at US missions to the United States, to the United Nations and its specialized agencies as economic counselor at the US mission to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and as a provincial reconstruction team leader in Erbil. I'll spare the committee this incredible resume. I literally could read for another 10 more minutes. You have an extensive degree of service under presidents of both parties. You are a testimony, in my opinion, to what it means to dedicate your life to this nation's well-being, its safety, and relationships around the world. We know the challenges in the DRC. Under former President Kabili, they were characterized by human rights abuses, corruptions, and impunity. The new President vowed to address these issues yet three years later several senior military officers responsible for gross gross violations in human rights remain at their posts and cooperation again appears uh, uh, corruption again appears rampant i 'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on how the u s can compete strategically in this incredibly important nation uh, because we know that china is the largest consumer of DRC mined cobalt and copper and the DRC's largest trading partner. China firms uh, reportedly control the majority of the DRC copper and cobalt mining projects and output. DRC is a critical supplier of rare earth metals and other materials for things like batteries for electric cars. And so I'm confident that Ms. Tamlin's extensive experience as part of the Foreign Service, make her eminently qualified, make you a great asset and an excellent choice by the President of the United States for this role. Congratulations on your nomination. I look forward to hearing from you as well. And again, I am honored to be sitting next to uh, my ranking member, Rounds. I'd like to turn to him for his thoughtful opening statement as well.
4: Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to all of our nominees and to your families for your service to our country. Uh, all of you have served our nation as either a service member, senior political appointee, or a career diplomat. You have made sacrifices in the service of your country and in some cases with much of your lives and sometimes those of your family spent away from home. I thank you for your service to our nation. Mr. Fick, thank you for your service in the Marine Corps and your eagerness to continue to serve as our first ever ambassador at large for cyberspace and digital policy. Thank you for the opportunity to visit yesterday. Um, it It was very enlightening. Cyberspace presents myriad opportunities and challenges for our national security economy and foreign policy. The United States, our allies and partners face an increasingly complex and interconnected global security environment with threats in cyberspace posed by state actors, most notably Russia and the People's Republic of China, as well as non-state actors. We need to take a hard look at our foreign policy as it relates to cyberspace and how we can be proactively engaged to defend U.S. interests. I appreciate your willingness to serve as the first leader of the State Department's newly created Bureau of Cyberspace and Digital Policy, a very challenging assignment. Mr. Schiffer, Thank you for your service in the Department of Defense and your long service as a congressional staff member. I'm glad to see an experienced senior advisor like you as the nominee for Assistant Administrator for Asia in USAID. Across Asia, USAID plays an important role in helping countries achieve sustainable, long-term growth and success. Through development partnerships such as the Quad between Australia, India, Japan, and the United States, and with the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, USAID supports developing countries in Asia to realize their development goals and contribute to a more prosperous and hopefully peaceful world. USAID is a critical pillar of the US foreign policy, and I look forward to hearing how you plan to further US-Asian relationships and provide development assistance to developing countries in Asia. Ms. Karhonen, Mali, like other nations in the Sahel, faces the rise of Islamist militancy and other troubling trends. The eighth largest country in Africa, Mali, over the last few years, has had two coups, persistent insecurity, significant challenges in implementing the Algiers Accords, and the intervention of malign actors, including the Wagner Group. Mali will remain central to the administration's strategy for the Sahel and to broader U.S. interests in the region. Beyond engagement with the current military junta in Mali and, the, and on other domestic challenges that Mali faces, the U.S. must also balance complex regional and multilateral interests related to the U.N. peacekeeping mission, counterterrorism operations, and the role of France as it draws down its presence along with other Western partners. So you have your work cut out for you, and I thank you, Ms. Carhonan, for being willing to serve the United States in Mali. I look forward to hearing how you will approach the complex issues you will face as the U.S. Ambassador, if confirmed. Ambassador Tamlin, you have served the United States in a number of challenging posts, including several in Africa. Your next post in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, if confirmed, will be no less challenging. Excuse me. I thank you for being willing to serve in the places we most need experienced ambassadors who understand Africa, as well as the U.S. priorities and challenges on the continent. In the DRC, the United States has been a strong partner to the administration of uh, President Chisiquita since the controversial elections in 2018 that saw the end to more than two decades of rule by the Kabila family. <clears throat> While there have been some efforts to, uh, at reform, progress has been slow to deep uh, to deeply entrenched interests and power dynamics in the DRC as well as ongoing insecurity in eastern Congo that has become even more worrying in recent weeks with the resurgence of M23 ambassador tamlin i look forward to hearing from you and how you plan to pursue us priorities in the drc have confirmed particularly with elections expected late next year and Once again, I most certainly appreciated your visit uh, yesterday and look forward uh, to your discussion with us today. Uh, Ms. davis Ba. you have had, (coughs) excuse me, you have had a long career serving the United States in some of the most challenging posts on the African continent. Your experience serving, (coughs) excuse me, in both Chad and Nigeria, both important players in the continent, will serve us well in your new role as the U.S. Ambassador to Cote d'Ivoire if confirmed. If confirmed, you will need to engage our Iverian partners on a number of important issues to include preventing and countering violent extremism, trade and investment, global health, and the implementation of the Millennium Challenge Corporation Compact. I thank you, Ms. Davis-Bah, for your willingness to continue to serve the United States in Africa and uh, in a country that is important to U.S. policy objectives for the entire region. I am delighted to meet with all of you today and look forward to your comments. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you to my uh, ranking member. We're going to now proceed through your introductory comments. We're going to go from my left, actually, to my right, starting with Ms. Baugh, ending uh, with Mr. Thick. Um, A pro tip, though, as you prepare to go, please introduce your family and friends behind you. If there's anything I know about getting on the good side of Tim Kaine, there are three <laughs> things he likes. In fact, there's three things he loves, family, friends and big, bald senators from New Jersey. Miss <laughs> uh, Ba, please proceed with your opening statement.
5: Thank you so much, um, Senator. Uh, well, first then, I'd like to introduce my family. I am joined with me uh, today by my husband, Amadou Mahtar Ba, by my son, Aliyun. He is the oldest of my five sons, representing all of the Ba boys here today, and my mom, Janice Davis. Mr. Chairman, Ranking member, distinguished members of this committee, it is the greatest honor of my diplomatic career to appear before you this morning as President Biden's nominee to be the next US ambassador to the Republic of Cote d'Ivoire. I appreciate the confidence of the President and Secretary Blinken for entrusting me with this opportunity of a lifetime, if confirmed. I will advance our bilateral relationship and build upon our enduring partnership for the benefit of all Americans and all Ivorians. I am here today to continue my family's legacy of service. We are Washingtonians. We are educators, public servants, and veterans. We are patriots who have chosen life in our nation's capital, dedicated to improving our country and our global community. I made my first solo trip overseas in high school to volunteer with Operation Crossroads Africa and decided then to pursue life in the international community. If confirmed, I will serve and lead to empower all people to achieve their greatest potential and make a difference in our world. I recognize the enormity of this moment that I share with my family who support me every step of this journey. I've introduced to you already my husband, Mahtar, and our five sons. And if confirmed, they will accompany me to Abidjan. We have served to advance common values and the interests of the United States in Nigeria, Guinea, Somalia, Kenya, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Ethiopia, and Chad. My late grandmother, Doris Haynes, a retired DC public school principal, accompanied us celebrating her 90th birthday in Nairobi. Through our service, my parents, Janice and Joseph Davis, my brother Jay and his family, and our friends, discover the world through our lived experience. This is an important moment for the people of Cote d'Ivoire. They have taken bold strides to strengthen democracy through political dialogue and reconciliation. With its national development plan, the country is building the foundation for a prosperous future. Ivorians are investing to reap democratic dividends. And if confirmed, I will prioritize partnerships to achieve our common goals, aspirations, and vision for the future. I will encourage Cote d'Ivoire's political leaders to continue on the path towards peace, fortifying democratic institutions with every single step. Through our embassy programs, we are prioritizing freedom of expression, political competition, and universal human rights we will emphasize greater participation of women in the economic, political, and social fabric of the nation. The partnership between the United States and Côte d'Ivoire is vital to meet the unprecedented global and regional challenges of this moment. Terrorist activity is on the rise in West Africa as violent extremist organizations in the Sahel seek to expand their influence into coastal states. Côte d'Ivoire's neighbors are besieged by extra-constitutional changes in power, and disinformation is prevalent in Ivoirian social media. The unjustifiable war in Ukraine has increased food and fuel prices for the people of Côte d'Ivoire and around the world. Yet through all these challenges, our partnerships remain strong. Together, we strengthen democracy, expand economic prosperity, and increase security. Cote d'Ivoire's economic performance is extraordinary, with enormous potential for increased trade and U.S. commercial investment, and if confirmed, I will expand opportunities for American companies to unleash innovation and contribute to a private sector that encourages transparency, entrepreneurship, and inclusive growth. A country is strongest when its citizens experience safety and security, if confirmed, I will work closely with you, members of this committee, and colleagues across the U.S. government to increase health security, enhance Ivoirian military capabilities, and strengthen community resilience. I will capitalize on new opportunities provided by the Global Fragility Act, landmark legislation made possible through bipartisan congressional support. If confirmed, I will lead our mission to strengthen democratic institutions, deepen economic and cultural ties, and expand partnerships based on mutual respect between the United States and Côte d'Ivoire. Thank you so much for your consideration, and I look forward to your questions.
0: We thank you for that uh, presentation, and I'd like to now move to Ms. Lucy Tamlin.
5: Thank you,
6: Senator. To start off, I'd like to introduce my cousins, Jesse and Kevin, who are here behind me. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member and Members of the Committee, it is an honor for me to appear before you today. I'm grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for the confidence that they have placed in me as their nominee for the Ambassador to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, that is DRC. Representing the United States abroad is something that I've done together with my husband, George Serpa, and children, Ben and Philippa, who unfortunately were not able to be here today. I thank them for their unwavering support and their enthusiasm across many continents. In a career spanning 40 years of service, I have most recently served as charge d'affaires in Sudan, ambassador to the Central African Republic, and ambassador to the Republic of Benin. I feel privileged to have served in the countries where we are literally on the front lines where U.S. diplomacy really matters, and side-by-side with colleagues who answer the call, despite the personal, family, and health sacrifices entailed. Looking after the safety of the embassy community and ensuring that each and every American or local employee can flourish and bring his or her best to the job in an environment free of harassment and discrimination is my highest priority as a leader. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, the United States has important interests in the DRC. This enormous country is home to 47% of Africa's tropical rainforests. The minerals and metals under its soil, if responsibly extracted, will help power the globe's transition to clean energy. The DRC's dynamic, entrepreneurial, and creative population of over 100 million are eager to engage with the United States. Our cooperation with the DRC has strengthened dramatically under the tenure of former Ambassador Mike Hammer. African Growth and Opportunity Act access has been reinstated. Through the Privileged Partnership for Peace, Prosperity, and Preservation of the Environment, we are broadening our engagement with President Chisikete's government across the full range of issues to include security, democracy, and human rights, anti-corruption, the environment, health, and business climate. If confirmed, I commit to nurturing and strengthening this ambitious agenda, which is good both for the DRC and for the United States' health, economy, and the environment. In this continent-sized country, US assistance is helping tackle persistent health threats, notably Ebola, working to advance shared climate goals promoting responsible and accountable mineral supply chains. We are supporting efforts to fight the pervasive trafficking of persons, natural resources and wildlife, which feeds corruption and violence. Other countries, notably the People's Republic of China, fully grasp the DRC's potential. We want the Congolese people to know that corrupt mineral exploitation deals, illegal logging and environmental devastation is not inevitable and that there are alternatives. If confirmed, I commit to using all our diplomatic tools, including leveraging visa ineligibilities and sanctions to help the Congolese fight corruption. Right now, reducing violence in the DRC's eastern region is critical. The region must not be allowed to stumble into another devastating interstate conflict. If confirmed, I will work closely with regional institutions and partners to de-escalate tensions and pressure non-state armed groups to stand down. The DRC is also home to the world's largest UN peacekeeping mission. This investment, of which the United States carries a quarter of the cost, must be held to the highest standards of performance and demonstrate its ability to protect civilians and conduct proactive operations against armed groups. I take this opportunity to express my condolences to the families of the three UN personnel killed in Butembo on July 26. Finally, free and fair elections held in 23 will be a particular focus of my diplomatic engagement if confirmed. The future leaders of the DRC are for its citizens to decide, but the international community can play an important role in helping to strengthen democratic institutions, supporting civil society, and calling out without hesitation when we see signs of democratic backsliding. I recognize that if confirmed I will be assuming leadership of a post in a country of enormous size, complexity, and promise. The large portfolio of U.S. assistance requires astute direction, prioritization, and coordination. Chronic staffing shortages, a situation not unique to Kinshasa, need to be managed to ensure that we don't burn out and lose the next generation of Africa hands. Across all of these activities, I commit to ensuring the efficient and effective use of the resources entrusted to us by the U.S. taxpayer. I look forward to your advice and counsel on these challenging tasks, and I'm very happy to take your questions. Thank you.
0: Thank you for that important and informative opening statement. We now are going to turn to Ms. Corhonen and your opening statement. Thank
7: you. Good morning, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and distinguished members of the committee. I'm honored to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Mali. I appreciate the confidence he and Secretary Blinken have shown in me through this nomination. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you, other members of Congress, and staff to advance US interests in Mali. Mr. Chairman, I joined the Foreign Service because of 9-11. That eventful day woke the the need for service in me. I did not choose the Foreign Service, it chose me. It has taken me to India, Kuwait, Sri Lanka, Iraq, Saudi Arabia twice, and if confirmed, hopefully to Mali. A few months ago, Secretary Blinken appropriately observed that Mali remains a linchpin for future stability in the Sahel. We have deep concerns about that stability and deep concerns about the extremism and terrorism that is spreading tentacles in the region. This is ultimately about the people of Mali and their aspirations for peace, their aspirations for development, and respect for human rights. Security partnerships in Mali have shifted in the last year with the departure of European counterterrorism forces and the arrival of the Kremlin-backed Wagner Group. The human rights violations and abuses allegedly committed are not only horrific, but will push aggrieved civilians into the ranks of terrorist groups. If confirmed, I will work to counter Russian disinformation attempts to veil the true harm and cost of Wagner's actions. Additionally, the United Nations Multidimensional Integrated Stabilization Mission in Mali, MINUSMA, is facing unprecedented challenges due to restrictions placed on it. I will advocate for the free movement of MINUSMA peacekeepers and for conditions that allow resumption of accountable international security assistance to counter the spread of terrorism across the country. If confirmed, I look forward to leading Embassy Bamako in advancing U.S. interests in Mali. Our main interests include bringing the country back to a constitutional democracy that helps all of its citizens, furthering economic development, and countering the incursion of terrorism that threatens not only Mali, but the rest of the Sahel. We welcome the agreement to a 24-month timeline between the economic community of West African states, ECOWAS, and the transition government. If confirmed, I look forward to shaping US activities to encourage constructive participation in Mali's democratic transition and 2024 elections. Malians have shown before that they can be the shining light of the region. US assistance in Mali promotes democracy and improved governance while supporting sustainable livelihoods. USAID's health programs reach 80% of Mali's population, 80%. NIH, CDC have built solid public health systems that met the Ebola challenge in the past, help mitigate the impact of COVID, and promise to make inroads in the global fight against malaria. These programs are closely integrated with our democracy and counterterrorism goals in a well-coordinated interagency effort. If confirmed, I will work together with our interagency and our international partners to maintain strong partnerships for development and stability. We are committed to the Malian people and their aspiration for responsive democratic governance. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, my highest priority will be the protection of Americans and American interests, including all mission personnel. Moreover, I will carefully and diligently ensure responsible stewardship of taxpayer dollars through effective leadership of US Embassy Bamako's strong interagency team. Mr. Chairman, you see sitting before you the ultimate American dream. I'm a proud immigrant girl from New Jersey, who's had the good fortune to be nominated to represent the best country on earth. So much of who I am belongs to my parents, Paul and Mina Sachdeva. Dad's watching me from New Jersey. Mom's right behind me. Um, I wish my grandfather was alive. He would have been so proud. But the most important person in my life is my husband, Yuha, also sitting behind me. I would not be here today without him. He and our three children, Varun, Vikram, both of whom are here, and Vera, who is hanging out somewhere in Europe, um, (laughs) are what really make my life worth living. I'm deeply grateful to them for their support and their love. Um, Could not have done this without them. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and members of the committee, if confirmed, I look forward to working closely with all of you and would hope to welcome you to Bamako during my tenure. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today, I welcome your questions.
0: Thank you for, frankly, that inspiring uh, opening statement about your life and your appreciation of the gravity of the work that you're doing. Um, Mr. Schiffer, we're turning to you. This could be a very brutal hearing for you, um, uh, because, as I learned from studying the Gospels, you're really not appreciated when you come home. Uh, so if you would like to try to do anything you can to prepare the ground for what the tilling that might happen after your, your opening statement, you may go ahead.
8: Uh, I'm not entirely sure how to follow up on that, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I'm wondering if I can get under the table as opposed to be sitting here, uh, uh, on this side of the dais. Um, but, uh, my, my thanks to you, my thanks to ranking member rounds. Um, It it is uh, indeed a much less pleasant experience being on this side than uh, where I'm I'm used to sitting behind all of you, Um, but hopefully I'll uh, I'll, I'll manage to to survive. Uh, I am deeply humbled uh, to be coming before this committee today to to serve as the nominee uh, as assistant administrator of the Asia Bureau at USAID. Uh, And I am uh, deeply humbled also by the trust placed in me by President Biden uh, and Administrator Power. Uh, If confirmed, I will seek to contribute to USAID's efforts to build an enduring U.S. diplomatic and development presence in the Indo-Pacific, the most strategically vital region of the globe. And I'm honored to be here today seeking your trust to join with the dedicated staff of USAID uh, to undertake this important work on behalf of the American people. Uh, I'm joined today by my former wife uh, and friend, Wendy Wasserman, uh, and my daughter, Josie. Uh, Josie's support and encouragement uh, and all that she's had to put up with over the years, and including this right now, uh, means means everything to me. Uh, my, my partner, Stephanie Klein-Aubrant uh, and her son, are not able to join me today, uh, but Stephanie's wisdom has contributed much to making me capable of seeking your advice and consent. Uh, to undertake this task, uh, and I owe her a debt uh, which can never be repaid. Uh, So too, my mother and sister, uh, and my father, uh, who's no longer with us, uh, but whose ethical teachings uh, and moral guidance uh, have long been my lodestar. I also want to express my appreciation and support for Chairman Menendez uh, and all that he's provided me with over the years. His tireless commitment to building a nation and a world consistent with our highest values uh, and aspirations uh, especially at times when uh, those values have been uniquely stressed, both at home and abroad, uh, has been nothing short of inspirational. Uh, and last, but certainly not least, I want to express my thanks to all the members and the staff of this committee. Um, you all know how strongly I feel about the work that, that you all do, that we all do, I think I can still say that, uh, and how torn I am to, to to leave. If confirmed, I pledge that I will work with you in genuine consultation and partnership Uh, and I trust that you will keep me honest, should I falter in that uh, that pledge. Uh, As we face the challenges of the 21st century, including the realities of strategic competition with China, I can think of few undertakings more important than extending USAID's mission to drive sustainable and inclusive development, regional prosperity, and stability in Asia. It is central to our national interest to help meet the region's humanitarian needs, contribute to free and open regional architecture, and to work with the people and governments of the region to safeguard their sovereignty, build vital civil societies, and to promote democratic governance, confront human rights violations, and to combat gender equality, inequality, corruption, and kleptocracy. And as I know members of this committee appreciate, we do this work not just because it is the right thing to do, although it is certainly that, um, but because working alongside allies and partners in the region to build a more capable and connected Indo-Pacific community is vital for America and benefits American workers and families. As the President's Indo-Pacific Strategy states, the United States has long recognized the Indo-Pacific as vital to our security and prosperity, and we have pursued partnership in the region since our very founding as a nation. There is no shortage of challenges in the region. Climate change poses an existential threat across Asia, from Pacific islands threatened with rising tides to the fragile ecosystem of the Tibetan Plateau, More than 300 million still live in extreme poverty, and food insecurity threatens the lives and livelihoods of millions. Unmet basic education and healthcare needs, democratic backsliding, and immense infrastructure requirements are just a few of the challenges the region faces. But just as there's no shortage of challenges, so too there is no shortage of opportunities. To foster deeper deeper local partnerships, greater innovation through localization, and more meaningful results to drive development progress, not simply development programs. If confirmed, I look forward to pursuing opportunities to work with our partners, particularly in the Pacific, on climate adaptation, disaster preparedness and resilience, and a sustainable future, as well as opportunities to enable high-quality development finance and public-private partnerships to further the President's partnership for global infrastructure and investment. Equally important will be furthering good governance, anti-corruption, human rights, and supporting civil society actors in the region. We can do this by building deeper relationships with our development partners, including the Quad, so that together we we are more efficient and effective in meeting regional needs. Likewise, we can strengthen our work with our ASEAN partners to build real functional problem-solving architecture. Thank you all for the opportunity to appear before you today and for your consideration of my nomination. I look forward to any questions you may have.
0: You're grateful for that opening testimony. We're gonna now turn uh, to Mr. Fick for his opening testimony.
9: Mr. Chairman, ranking member, and distinguished committee members, uh, I'm honored to appear before you today as nominee to be the first ever U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for Cyberspace and Digital Policy. Uh, Joining me, behind me, both physically and metaphorically, are my wife, Margaret, and our daughters, Ella and Kate, They are constant proof for me that despite the digital world's importance, life's true rewards are found right here in the physical one. My parents, Neil and Jane, are watching from Maine. Uh, They instilled in me a strong sense of family, of integrity, and of public service. I feel as if all the threads of my professional life come together in this role, from combat service as a Marine Corps infantry officer to leading a national security research organization, to building and leading a cybersecurity software company. American technology leadership is critical to the credible promotion of our values, to sustaining our economic strength, and to our national security. It is the next frontier of American diplomacy. Our future will be shaped by the infrastructure, standards, norms, and policies that determine how digital technologies are developed, deployed, and used. We are in a global contest for a democratic future in which we can all use technology to reach our full potential and against an authoritarian future in which technology is harnessed to repress free expression and destabilize open democratic societies. Countries such as the People's Republic of China and Russia have a very different vision for cyberspace and the use of digital technologies which is why American leadership matters in this arena alongside like-minded allies and partners. Recognizing this context and building on the ongoing work of the department, Secretary Blinken established the Bureau of Cyberspace and Digital Policy earlier this year with the strong bipartisan support of this committee and others. If confirmed, I pledge to partner with the committee and with all of Congress to further elevate and integrate cyber and digital policy in U.S. diplomacy and diplomacy in U.S. cyber and digital policy. There are three key areas where, if confirmed, I would partner with the committee to make progress. First, we must strengthen adherence to the framework of responsible state behavior that all UN member states have endorsed. This framework affirms that international law applies to state conduct in cyberspace and lays out norms that, although voluntary and non binding, guide what states should and should not do in cyberspace. And yet, norms are more effective in binding together our allies than they are in dissuading our adversaries. To reduce the frequency and severity of damaging cyber incidents, we must collaborate across the U.S. government and with partners around the world to deter malicious cyber activity and impose meaningful consequences on states that engage in it and those that willfully harbor cyber criminal organizations. Second, we must promote a global digital economy that lets U.S. companies and their workers compete on an equal playing field around the world. This includes preserving the free flow of data across international borders while protecting users' privacy and the confidentiality and integrity of the data. We must support open, transparent standards and the multi-stakeholder model of Internet governance that has enabled decades of innovation. And we must promote new innovations such as open radio access networks and work to ensure the security of the entire telecommunications ecosystem upon which we all rely. Third, we must at every turn champion a positive vision for digital freedom and digital inclusion while working to combat digital authoritarianism. This means partnering with civil society, the private sector, and other governments to understand how digital technologies can help people exercise their human rights and reach their full potential. We must harness these technologies to strengthen democratic governance instead of allowing them to be used for repression. I approach each of these missions with great respect for the dedicated public servants at the Department of State who have ably championed U.S. interests as cyber and digital issues have become a foreign policy imperative. If confirmed, I will dedicate my time and energy to building the new bureau into an enduring institution with the talent and resources it needs to advance U.S. interests around the world through diplomatic engagement and foreign assistance. I appreciate the trust President Biden and Secretary Blinken have expressed in asking me to serve in this new role. I thank you for the opportunity to be here today, and I look forward to your questions.
0: Mr. Fick, we thank you so much for your opening statement. This is the how I'd like to, without any objection from my ranking member. I'm going to defer to uh, Senator Menendez for his Uh, opening a round of questions, and we're going to come back to the ranking member. Uh, Then we're going to proceed to Senator Kaine. I'm going to be here for the duration so I can save my questions to last, depending on who who shows up. And with that, I would like to turn to my senior senator, senior to me in time in the Senate, but also senior to me in sagacity, tenacity, and audacity. Okay. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to record
10: these comments. Anyhow... uh, let me thank you, Mr. Chairman and the Ranking Member, uh, for presiding uh, over this nomination hearing. One of the most important things we do as members of the committee is oversee nominations, and we need the uh, help of all of our colleagues in getting through the nominees. So I appreciate both you and the Ranking Member for doing it, and thank you for the courtesy of being able to go first. I have, I have some other issues. Congratulations to the nominees uh, before us today. Uh, we thank you and all of your families for your service to our country. Uh, Let me take a a few minutes of personal privilege to speak about Michael Schiffer, who has been my longtime senior advisor and counselor on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He's one of the leading foreign policy minds in Washington, having also served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for East Asia. He's a respected expert on Asia with a network of relationships across the continent. I never forgot when I first started visiting Asia, when I was on the committee in 2006 and started going with Michael to visit Asia. And it would be very interesting to me when heads of state, including when I was chairman of the committee previously, would say, hello, Mr. Schiffer, before they'd say hello to me. So uh, it just goes to the the depth of uh, relationships he has. I've long relied on uh, Michael's counsel, expertise, and judgment in dealing with some of the most vexing issues facing the committee, and no one is more qualified or more deserving of this nomination than he is. He's dedicated and committed to a values-based foreign policy that champions freedom, human rights, and democracy, and he'll be a strong advocate for those principles across the continent and will work to ensure that AID's programming reflect our values and our interests, and he is someone who doesn't hesitate to speak his mind. Uh, Stories about his willingness to speak truth to power uh, abound, Uh, but don't worry, Michael, I won't share them here today. Uh, But it's an important quality that will serve him well in the executive branch as he ensures that USAID has a seat at the table and a voice in the interagency process. It's precisely that kind of leadership that we need in the administration today, someone that knows the right approach and assistance to Asia and how to get it there. So um, I appreciate uh, all of those great assets, and I will not continue with my remarks on you because then my time will be eaten up for questions. So I'll include them for the record. Michael, thank you for your excellent uh, work with us. Uh, Mr. Fick, uh, to be um, the ambassador at large for cyberspace and digital diplomacy is the new frontier for us. Uh, the State Department unveiled the, unveiled the Bureau of Cyberspace and Digital Diplomacy in April this year. Last week, the committee introduced the State Department authorization of 2022, which contains a version of the Cyber Diplomacy Act that would authorize the CDB Bureau in statute and thus support its long-term viability. What would be your top priorities as Ambassador-at-Large for the Bureau if it finds its footing in the department?
9: Thank you, Senator, uh, for the question and also for having me here today. Uh, I have three uh, immediate top priorities, and I think of them as concentric rings moving from innermost to outermost. Uh, Because the Bureau is new, the first and innermost priority uh, is building the team and establishing a culture, uh, both in the Bureau and in the department, where uh, a fluency and expertise in digital technologies is seen as important to the careers and futures of career foreign service officers um, and members of the civil service Uh, i can imagine a future where any candidate to be a chief of mission uh, is expected to have an understanding of these issues because they're a substrate that cut across every aspect of our foreign policy the second priority the second ring moving outward uh, is to assert the state department's rightful place in the interagency process on topics of cybersecurity and digital policy. Uh, And then third are uh, all of the policy challenges out there in the world. Uh, The wolf closest to the door, so to speak, in my view, is uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, and the threats and opportunities it provides in the digital space for us. Uh, And then I believe our strategic competition with China um, along digital lines is, is probably the defining Uh, strategic question of of my generation.
10: Well, I'm glad to hear your say about uh, making sure that the equities of the State Department at the table in the interagency process are are honed, uh, because um, from my perspective, sometimes uh, the State Department uh, doesn't get its due as it relates to its critical role in the context of the interagency process, so that will be an important one. And I hope that you will, upon confirmation, create a productive relationship with this committee. This committee has members that are very interested in this domain and want to engage with you in the days ahead.
9: I commit to that, sir.
10: And and if I may, Mr. Chairman, one other question. Uh, uh, Ms. Corhonen, did I I pronounce it correctly? Okay. Uh, The Trans-Sahel Counter-Terrorism Partnership Program Act of 2021, which is law, which I sponsored, not only calls for a strategy for the Sahel, it calls for a specific strategy for Mali as part of the overall approach. We had a hearing where representatives from state, DOD, and USAID shared the administration's uh, approach. And as I mentioned at that time, we looked to have input into the strategy as a result of that hearing. Could you briefly outline for me the draft five-year strategy for Mali? How does that strategy differ from the approach of previous administrations with respect to balancing the so-called 3Ds in Mali?
7: Thank you. <clears throat> I have not seen a uh, five-year strategy for Mali. I, however, do know that uh, the department and uh, our interagency partners are, are working together on, on multiple um, issues in Mali. And I would say that uh, if confirmed, uh, my priorities will be that uh, we help and support the Transition government to um, to come to democratic governance to elections that they promised with ECOWAS in uh, in March 2024. Really happy to see that deadline. Um, I also know that uh, this just this past Sunday, the Algerian President Taboun, called for the Malian transition government to to hold elections, uh, and in fact, on Monday there was a, uh, a meeting, uh, t- uh, a decisional meeting. Uh, for the Algiers Accord. So I would say elections, uh, transition to democratic governance, um, working through the Algerian peace accords, uh, support of MINUSMA, um, is, are the things that I would really be looking at in terms of uh, what's, what should be happening in Mali in the next five years. I believe that's kind of uh, where the weather department is going at this point. Well we
10: look forward to working with you because the, the law that we authored ultimately seeks to uh, create a clear uh vision of where we go and a strategy to achieve it uh, versus working ad hoc mr chairman thank you for the courtesy i have questions for all of the nominees i'm going to submit them for the record in deference to my colleagues I'd ask you to give me substantive answers. If you do, then you'll advance to a business meeting. If you don't, we're gonna to have to wait for the substantive answers. So I do hope you'll give me substantive answers to the questions that will
0: propound to you. And again, congratulations to all of you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Ranking Member. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
4: Once again, it is good to see the qualifications of the members in front of us here uh, at this time. Mr. Fick. Uh, The deployment of secure fifth-generation or 5G networks is critical not only for U.S. networks but throughout the world with our allies and partners. Meanwhile, countries like China pose a serious threat to our foreign allies and partners through companies such as Huawei. The FY21 NDAA established a multilateral telecommunications security fund executed by the Secretary of State to support the development and adoption of secure and trusted telecommunications technologies with our partners and allies appropriations for this fund were passed as part of the chips legislation last week if confirmed how do you plan to use this fund to work with our partners and allies to develop secure and trusted alternatives to huawei and how will you leverage this fund to encourage development of innovative new technologies like open radio access networks known as oran
9: Thank you, Senator. I uh, strongly share the sentiment uh, expressed in your question uh, and believe uh, very strongly that global telecom security uh, is essential. Uh, I believe that the U.S. cannot do it alone by its very nature. This is a global network uh, of, of hardware and infrastructure. Uh, and if confirmed, I would work to deploy the resources appropriated in the CHIPS Act. I think uh, uh, from my uh, seat still on the outside looking in. I applauded uh, the passage um, of the act. Two particular examples uh, for consideration uh, might be partnering with the European Commission um, under the Trade and Technology Council in order to finance uh, the uh, deployment of secure infrastructure to third countries. Uh, that's something that uh, I would I would very cl- quickly want to uh, explore. Another example would be expanding work with the Quad countries um, in order to uh, promote open RAN deployments in the Indo-Pacific. And you have my commitment that I would engage uh, with the committee and with Congress uh, before and during any implementation.
4: Very good. Thank you. Ms. Corhonen, just last week, the State Department ordered the departure of non-emergency U.S. government personnel from Mali due to heightened risk of terrorist attacks. Regardless of how long this ordered departure persists, if confirmed, you will serve as chief of mission at a high-risk post for U.S. personnel. How will you approach your role as chief of mission in this environment where, despite significant challenges, the staff of the U.S. Embassy have important work to do?
7: Thank you, sir. Um, my first priority absolutely will be the safety and security of American citizens and mission personnel. Uh, the attack on July twenty second was just about 10 miles from the embassy. Uh, the situation is serious, and we must proceed with an abundance of caution. I believe my experiences in, serving at, in the past at serving at high-threat posts will serve me well, if I'm confirmed. I also understand that Mission Bamako enjoys high morale And if confirmed, it will be my goal to sustain that positive work and life experience while we navigate Mali's myriad challenges together. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Ambassador uh, Tamlin, what's your view on the prospects for credible elections in DRC next year?
6: Thank you, sir. Well, um, the Congolese have the right to free, fair, and on-time elections, and they want that. And we know that the path to a more prosperous and stable DRC lies through a, a good election and a constant consolidation of their democratic uh, experience. It's a country with immense challenges because of the size, the logistics that are needed, the institutions we know are weak. If confirmed, one of my highest priorities would be to immediately review the planning that is underway to prepare ourselves and the country for elections. And there are three things in particular that we need to look at. The first is um, progress on national preparations. How are they doing in terms of voter rolls, procurement, um, the uh, census that may need to take place? The second thing is, how is our assistance um, helping in the right places? And then finally, what is the enabling environment? You can't have a credible election if there's not an even uh, playing field for all of the candidates. And if rights of freedom of assembly or freedom of expression are not uh, fully supported. Finally, a credible election just doesn't happen overnight. It's something that you need to be preparing for and planning for for a, a good period of time in advance. And that includes messaging to the government clearly what our expectations are. So I hope to be able to do that and also work closely with international partners so that our messaging is strong and consistent across the board.
4: Thank, Thank you. Mr. Chairman, I do have questions for the other nominees, but... In the interests of allowing our other members to move forward, I think I'll defer them and I'll allow the other members to ask questions first.
0: I recognize Senator King.
11: Um Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you, Senator Rounds. Um, I, I could ask questions for about an hour of this panel because I think I could learn a tremendous amount. <clears throat> but let me make two comments and then really one question that will be for you, Ambassador Tamlin. Um, first, to Nathaniel Thick. When my son Nathaniel was a senior in high school in December of 2007 and came to me and said, Mom and Dad, um, I want you to know that I've been talking to a Marine recruiter for the last few months. I noticed that he had your book, One Bullet Away, on his bookshelf. And I think it was, it was a surprise to us when he told us this. Uh, I think your writing was uh, influential in his decision. He had an eight-year career as an infantry officer with two deployments, is now a reservist but I just wanted to say you uh, have influenced a lot of people in a lot of your previous capacities but that book in particular uh, and maybe just maybe even the Nathaniel coincidence was one uh, helped create a really uh, talented marine officer my oldest son. Thank um, you, sir. And then Mr. Schiffer I'll just say it's it's really a treat to see you back you perform such good service during my time on this committee and uh, you're so well suited for the position. Um, Ambassador Tamlin I'm going to take my questions to you in a completely different direction, because I feel like the five of you are very qualified for the positions that you're going to be going to, and I'm going to support you all, but when we have foreign relations folks who are posted in countries right now that I'm concerned about, I often ask about your current post rather than the one to which you'll be nominated, and I'm very, very worried about Sudan, and I think I'm going to just talk to you a little bit about that. The reports just within the last few days uh, from CNN that Sudanese gold has been plundered by Russians to support the Ukrainian war has led to street protests in Sudan. And I'm interested that the Sudanese government has reacted to these reports by cracking down on plunderers? No, cracking down on those who revealed the information that demonstrated that Russia was plundering their gold reserves. What do you think this very shocking reporting portends for Sudan and what advice would you have for the committee about the way we should approach U.S.-Sudanese relationship given the significant number of challenges in Sudan right now?
6: Thank you, Senator. Well I think that um, the path ahead to deal with this and other issues is supporting a civilian-led transitional government. What we've seen following the revolution is that only a civilian-led government is capable of tackling these issues, of bringing transparency to bear on the events happening in the country, putting in place more responsible um, government institutions, and thinking about these issues and trying to figure out a better way of doing them. So that is our major focus right now. We're working very closely with all of the stakeholders involved to support a civilian-led transitional government. And what we've made clear as well is that until there is a credible civilian-led transitional government that has a broad support from the Sudanese people, the U.S. assistance will not be available.
11: The, the, the reporting is just a few days old, and again, it's really shocking. I would encourage all my colleagues to read it. I imagine many uh, have, and I applaud CNN for doing such good work on it. Do you think the, the, thus far the reaction in Sudan uh, would, uh, of the public would suggest that it would you know increase uh, the the public demand for a, a stable civilian government that could hopefully avoid um, just, you know, shocking um, uh, malfeasance of the kind that's been reported?
6: There's no debating this issue. I would say about 100% of the Sudanese population seek a civilian-led government. There's very clear consensus across uh, across the board for many reasons, but including this one because I think there's a great concern about the natural resources of the country not being uh, used for the benefit of the people. So I think it simply underscores the importance of moving swiftly forward on right. this transition. Thank, thank you. Thank
0: you. With that, I yield back, Mr. Chair. I'm grateful for that yielding of about a minute of your time. I'm sure Senator Portman respects that tremendously. Yes, sir. I, we we yield to you now for your questions.
12: Good model to emulate.
0: Yes. Uh,
12: First of all, I want to thank uh, Chairman Booker and Ranking Member Rounds for holding this uh, hearing, and I I know that uh, these nominees have all served their country already, but I want to thank you for stepping up to serve again. Um, And with regard to Africa, uh, enormous potential often overlooked, and so for our nominees uh, heading to African countries, we need uh, your U.S. presence there. I'm heading to Africa, to East Africa, mostly with Senator Coons, in a couple of weeks, um, and we look forward to that visit, but uh, there's so many um, questions I could ask about that, but I'm going to focus on something else, which is Mr. Fick. And uh, again, appreciate your service, including in the Marine Corps. Uh, What I'm concerned about is that we have overlapping responsibilities and authorities with regard to our cyber defense, and this has been something I've worked on for a while with very little uh, result, actually. Um, We seem to keep adding more and more top cybersecurity positions to our government. And the org chart troubles me. Uh, More importantly, what troubles me is that uh, without accountability, I'm worried that things will happen and it's too easy to point fingers. As we saw after the Colonial Pipeline incident, you probably recall, um, everyone was pointing fingers. So we have this top position uh, of the Deputy National Security Advisor for cyber already, which is obviously international in orientation. We have the federal CISO, of course, at OMB. We have the national cyber director, which was established by this Congress after a a commission report that indicated we needed a national director. We have the CISA director at the Department of Homeland Security. Um, One could argue that we also have um, at every agency and department others, but in effect they're reporting up at least to somebody. But your position that you are uh, being nominated for is a new one and I think it overlaps with the Office of the National Cyber Director. Uh, the legislation says that that director shall serve as the principal advisor to the president relating to coordination of diplomatic and other efforts to develop norms and international consensus around responsible state behavior in cyberspace, end quote. So I just want to know from you, um, one, are you sensitive to this issue and aware of it? And again, as someone with a military background, I imagine you share some of my concerns. And I'd like to hear those if you do. And how you intend to conduct yourself in this role so that you can fit into this construct. Uh, Congress is not very good at org charts, um, so it really will be the responsibility of the individuals who have these jobs to work together and uh, to to not allow the gaps in accountability, in particular with regard to the National Cyber Director's role, which seems to overlap directly with the State Department Cyber and Digital Policy Bureau Functions' responsibilities, how would you work collaboratively across all departments to assure that we're not being duplicative and ensure that we have accountability? Thank you, Senator. I, uh, I appreciate the, uh, the
9: question uh, and, the, and the sentiment behind it. Um, I think in, in addition to my military experience, my, my experience uh, building, building and leading a business uh, instilled in me an appreciation for a clear chain of command. Uh, an appreciation for clear and well-defined swim lanes, uh, an appreciation for accountability, uh, and kind of a wry sense that it is always easy to add, but it's hard to subtract. Uh, and so I, I, I come to this role uh, with a, uh, a heightened sense of concern about the issue that you raise. Uh, and that said, I, I've had, uh, I have a, a strong conviction that this role actually fills a gap Uh, that has existed in our government. Uh, When I was uh, leading a business and working with the government in this space, uh, CISA uh, has a strong presence here, the White House has a strong presence here, the Defense Department has a strong presence here, and the State Department has not. And uh, I believe that diplomacy should be our tool of first resort. Uh, I believe in the intrinsic value of diplomacy. Uh, And so I think this role actually does fill an important gap in uh, the cyber and tech uh, responsibilities across the government. Uh, I have known uh, Director Inglis uh, and Ann Newberger and Jen Easterly in different capacities for more than a decade. Uh, I have full confidence that we can carve out the right swim lanes, uh, and I hope that as the, uh, if confirmed, as, as the inaugural ambassador leading this office, um, we could create clear lines of responsibility that outlive any individual.
12: Well, thank you. I appreciate the fact you recognize the the overlap and the potential uh, conflicts, and most importantly, again, just the notion that accountability is necessary for us to be sure we are covering our bases with regard to this growing threat that we face as as a country. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: We're going to go now to Senator Cardin.
3: Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. I appreciate it. Also appreciate the manner in which you conduct this hearing. I'm very grateful for that, sir. Uh, I'm glad that you're grateful. Uh, let me uh, let me uh, also acknowledge uh, what Senator Rounds uh, indicated during his opening comments that all five of our nominees have a career of public service, and uh, you have dedicated yourselves to helping our country. And we know that is a family sacrifice, and we. Thank you and your families for your incredible service to our nation. And um, we're very pleased that you are willing to take on these incredibly important responsibilities. In one case, a new position. In other cases, some critically important countries. And uh, the the position at USAID. Mr. Schiffer, as I said earlier, as you were being um, eulogized by our chairman, um, because you're leaving us. That's the reason. Your service here was incredible. I thank you very much. I enjoyed all of our opportunities together. And you have some real challenges at USAID. And I want to talk a little bit about Burma, if I might. It's a tragic situation. Uh, the current government there and it's, uh, the human rights records are horrible. So how do we help the people who have been victimized by what has happened in Burma How does the United States play a constructive role to try to get help out uh, to the people that have been dislocated and abused as a result of Burmese government?
8: Senator Cardin, um, thank you for your your kind comments, and let me also uh, thank you for your leadership on on Burma over over the years. Um, I I share, as you know, your, your sense in the 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 tragedy uh, that's befallen that country since the coup in in uh, 2021 uh, and the challenges that we have in in, in Burma uh, right now. I think it is absolutely vital that the United States stands with the people of Burma uh, and that we do all all that we can, working with our partners in the region, our ASEAN partners, to assure that there is humanitarian access so that we can provide uh, assistance to those who are in the country, uh, as well as to provide assistance, whether it's shelter, nutritional uh, assistance, uh, food assistance, educational opportunities uh, to those that have been displaced to camps uh, either in Thailand uh, or in, in Bangladesh. Uh, I think there is a, a deep moral obligation. Uh, and then secondly, I think we have a continued uh, uh, obligation to work with civil society actors uh, who remain in Burma who are trying valiantly to create additional space uh, so that democracy and genuine ethnic and uh, and national reconciliation might once again get traction uh, in that country uh, and to work with them to try to uh, lead Burma back to uh, a path of democracy and responsible governance. Uh, I have no illusions about how tough it is. Uh, I have no illusions about the challenges that we face with. Uh, the, the military junta in in Naypyidaw. Uh, but uh, this is this is important work, and if uh, confirmed, I, it's one of the issues I intend to throw myself into.
3: Thank you. Mrs. Tamlin, I want to talk a little bit about DRC. Uh, there's been, obviously, a challenge in the past. The government appears to want to make a commitment to fight corruption, and I'd be interested as to how we can assist in that regard. They also have an election coming up, in uh, 2023 that we would like to see how we can be assist to make sure that's a free and fair election. So just tell me your strategies and commitment to the human rights agenda and the democracy agenda to, to assist in regards to what is necessary to fight corruption and to, to ensure that we have free and fair elections the best that we can in, in that country.
6: Thank you, Senator. Well, those would certainly be among my highest priorities if confirmed because we know that um, human rights abuses and corruption actually eat away at any prospects for the DRC to emerge as a prosperous and stable country. So it's in their interests, and it also has to be the sine qua non of our partnership with them that they're making progress on that. Through the uh, what we call the privileged partnership for peace, prosperity, and protection of the environment, which is kind of a portmanteau for a lot of activities that are undergoing, we have a strong human rights and democracy component, um, and we also, of course, are working to to support the elections. I just mentioned a couple of things that we're doing, but let me note that um, after the last elections, we didn't um, we 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 were uh, we didn't fail to uh, to call out actors who had been engaged in corrupt practices and uh, undermining the elections and I think that that stands out as as quite the warning and we certainly need to make sure that we keep those tools ready if if we see the same kind of circumstances uh, repeating themselves as far as corruption or or bad actors that threaten the integrity of the elections. And similarly, on human rights and corruption, we need to hold the leaders accountable for that. And I think that's something that, if confirmed, would be part of my dialogue with the leaders of the country to make sure that they understand how it's not just a question of words but actions in terms of ad- addressing problems of corruption, if whether it's in the military or in other parts of the government. Thank you.
3: I agree. So you have our support here in the Senate to, to, to amplify uh, those issues, particularly if we believe that attention is needed uh, in order to get
0: the right results. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. We thank the stalwart Senator from Maryland, and now we move to the one Senator in the entire United States Senator who is indeed forever young.
13: <laughs> With apologies to Rod Stewart. Uh, thank you, Chairman. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Fick. Last year, I introduced legislation with Senator Warner and the chairman of this committee that would establish an interagency tech partnership office housed at the State Department. This office would spearhead the United States global efforts to forge uh, robust technology partnerships with like-minded partners and allies, with a special focus on norms and standards, joint research, and export controls and investment screens. Uh, I believe that if America is to truly compete and exceed the Chinese Communist Party's whole of government approach to tech domination, we must harness all the tools of allies and partners and work together. Um, consistent with the, the bipartisan vision of the Chips and Science Act, which just passed Congress and the President of the United States will sign into law uh, in, in a few weeks, uh, we're trying to formalize Uh, this effort to crowd in the talent and treasure of other countries in co-developing technologies so that we can have common standards uh, and and, uh, really marshal all of the the collective wherewithal that we have uh, as as we think about this generational competition with with, uh, the CCP. Do you believe that the State Department is best positioned within the federal government to lead creation of this interagency uh, tech partnership office. Does the State Department have the resources and the ability to harness the necessary expertise within state and beyond uh, to spearhead this effort?
9: Thank you, Senator. I, uh, I do believe that the State Department, as the nation's lead foreign policy agency, uh, should lead on the partnership aspects of Technology collaboration. Um, I appreciate also that this this is a cross cutting issue inherently. Um, it has defense elements. It has intelligence elements. It has economic elements, uh, etc. And so uh, I would not expect that uh, that these efforts to to sit exclusively in the State Department. Uh, but I do think as far as partnerships go, um, the State Department is is um, is, is properly positioned to lead. And I think, uh, I believe that the creation of this role, uh, helps to elevate and integrate those functions at the state department. Uh, and if, if I'm confirmed, I would, uh, I would welcome the opportunity to, to work with you on this vision. I share uh, a strong sense of its importance and don't believe that we can do
13: it alone. Thank you for that. I I would look forward to that opportunity, sir. I've also noted uh, with with great interest the conclusions of the report of the Independent independent Task Force that you co-chaired for the Council on Foreign Relations, Confronting Reality in Cyberspace. The report calls for more cohesive links between our national security strategy and our policy for digital competition. Could you comment on where the U.S. can make meaningful progress uh, on this aspect of our foreign policy and where you envision your role to be uh, in, in, uh, in, in making that policy and implementing it, if confirmed? Uh,
9: yes, Senator. I, uh, I, as I said in my opening statement, I believe that technology is the next frontier of diplomacy. Uh, I be- believe that diplomacy is our tool of first resort in international relations, uh, and so, um, by extension, uh, I think that this is a cross-cutting substrate that is part of every aspect of our national security strategy and foreign policy. Uh, and so, um, my, uh, my hope, if confirmed, um, in this role is to, um, is to provide kind of coherence uh, to our tech diplomacy. Uh, and ensure that we as a government um, first, and we as a leader of, uh, of like-minded allies and partners um, are coordinating our efforts because we have a competitor out there with a very different vision of what our global technology future should look like. Uh, and I, I look behind me here at my children uh, and, and think that this is fundamental. Uh, to shaping the world that they will grow up in.
13: Thank you, sir. Got some mic issues here. And, and lastly, I'll just ask you, and if you can answer in fairly short order, going back to the report I referenced in, in lieu of sanctions, what tools are available to the United States to strengthen adherence to, uh, a, a, a framework of responsible state behavior in cyberspace?
9: Senator, I believe that we have not fully extended deterrence into the cyber domain. Uh, I believe that American power has been a force for stability in the world since the end of World War II. uh, And our adversaries uh, seek to do mischief or harm us using digital means uh, because they know what the consequences are in the physical world. And we should be marshalling every ounce of our diplomatic, economic, informational and, if necessary, military power to ensure that we extend deterrence into this no, new domain.
13: Thank you.
0: Mr. Mr. Young? Yes, Mr. Boehrer. Thank you very much for your question, sir. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. Yes, I'll get a staffer to help you with your microphone next time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. As always, your thorough questions uh, are informative and important, so thank you. Um, I want to start and uh, jump in. Um, Ms. Ba, you have been spared the scorn uh, and questioning of my colleagues, so I want to jump in with you on some really uh, what I think are really important issues. Um, I have a, a great concern that we're heading uh, as, a, as a globe spiraling into the greatest food insecurity our planet has ever seen, affecting more people than ever, and obviously. Uh, this is a, an issue for uh, Um And so I would like to know uh, from you, uh, what is the largest impact of the Russians' war in Ukraine on the agricultural sector in the country? And what are some thoughts of yours to help to deal with uh, any food insecurity uh, that is going to result?
5: See. Senator, thank you very much for the question. Um, indeed, uh, the impact of the war has made exacerbated food insecurity in Côte d'Ivoire and across Africa. Um, Agriculture is one of the most important sectors um, for Côte d'Ivoire. It's one of the largest exporters of cocoa, the largest exporters of cocoa in the world. Um, And so we are looking to continue and to deepen these partnerships in the agricultural sector um, with the U.S. companies that are already active in the country, but also to set um, and to strengthen a business climate to encourage other American companies um, because when American companies are working in partnership uh, in Cote d'Ivoire Uh, and across the region, we see innovation. Um, And so if confirmed, I would be focused on strengthening the role of American companies, the American model, to be able to look at how to not only deal with the immediate crisis of food security, um, but also to be able to create the conditions so that um, small scale farmers, larger farmers, women, young people can have livelihoods in the agricultural sector and to be able to feed themselves and to be be able to sustain their lives in the long term.
0: I want to ask you just a, a personal issue. I, I, I worry about our economic relationships often with African nations, when we're often sustaining uh, relationships that reflect the colonization of the past. And so when you look at uh, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, you know the government's national development plan emphasizes efforts to diversify beyond raw commodity expor- exports which I think is really important for the development of countries and their strength. Um, They look to promote domestic processing of cocoa beans, uh, raw cashews into more finished products, which I think is a very healthy economic evolution. How can the US support this initiative in diversifying their agricultural sector uh, while also ensuring that the other priorities, human rights and more continue to be sustained for the evolution of their, their economy?
5: Thank you for that um, as well, Senator. Um, Economic opportunity is really the foundation of um, security very often. They go hand in hand. Um, And good governance, transparency, accountability is also part and parcel. So if confirmed, I would be looking at how to have integrated approaches in all that we do and to really to bring the best of the United States to bear in Côte d'Ivoire, to be able to engage with young people, because very often young people, um, 77% of the population of Côte d'Ivoire below the age of 35, they need to be able to see opportunity, and they need to be able to see what's possible. And the American model is different than a colonial model and traditional models. And we have incredible companies. Um, We can help Uh, Côte d'Ivoire diversify their economy, looking into other industries as well, like cultural industries. Um, But when we look at American companies encouraging different models um, that can uh, look at corporate social responsibility and to be able to broaden from an integrated perspective economics, good governance, as well as security.
0: Thank you very much. Um, I would like to uh, go quickly to uh, Mr. uh, Mr. Fick. Uh, We often look at the issues of uh, cyberspace, digital policy, in terms of our fears, concerns, and understandable worries. But I'd like to maybe frame my question in the opportunity side and really ask you that uh, about the April 28th uh, Biden administration's announcement that 61 nations joining with them, uh, really for the declaration of the future of the internet, which really affirms Uh, the U.S. and other signatories' commitments to an open, free, global, interoperable, reliable, secure Internet that also protects human rights. And I I guess I'd like to know, how do you envision the CDP's Bureau's role in pursuit of this new global partnership and what aspects of the declaration you're going to be prioritizing?
9: Senator, thank you for... uh taking us from thinking about this issue solely in terms of strategic competition and, and affording an opportunity to talk about the positive, affirmative vision for what technology can do uh, globally. And I, I think the Declaration uh, for the Future of the Internet is exactly that. It is a, it is an aspirational uh, framework uh, and it is one that uh, has a lot of power as a, a galvanizing set of principles uh, to help build um, a voluntary coalition of like-minded partners and allies who share our view of an open free interoperable secure digital future um, if confirmed I would use um, uh, this role to try to expand uh, the number of states who are signatories to the the uh, uh, that document um, and do it uh, by telling a, a positive again affirmative Uh, story of of the power of technology Um, and I I think about my colleagues uh, down the table who who may be representing the United States um, in parts of the world where for the first time in human history uh, literally at their fingertips uh, young people can have all of the world's information available to them and that is uh, that's an incredibly powerful transformative
0: force All right. I made a mistake. I'm going to end my questioning. Uh, I intended to leave my questions to the very end. We're going to go to Senator Van Hollen, who is an extraordinary partner and an important member of this committee. Then we're going to uh, go back to some procedural questions I have for the entire panel that I should have asked at top. Uh, Then I have some of the most grueling, brutal questions I've ever asked somebody for Mr. Schiffer, and then uh, we're done. I think everybody else is going to submit for the record. So Mr. Schiffer, please get ready for me to come at you hard, Um, uh, but Mr. Van Hollen, go ahead. Uh, Thank thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, and and congratulations
14: to all of you, uh, and I look forward to supporting all of your nominations. Uh, You've already been uh, committed to public service uh, in various uh, forms, and uh, I I think you'll all do a terrific job uh, in the posts for which you've been nominated. Uh, Mr. Schiffer, we're going to miss you here, uh, but look forward to working with you. Uh, So, Mr. Fick, I was really glad to see uh, Secretary Blinken announce uh, the establishment, formal establishment of the Bureau uh, of Cyberspace and Digital Policy. I understand the concerns raised by Senator Portman, but I think you addressed them well. Um, And I do believe that you will establish those lanes of responsibility. And I was glad to hear the chairman talk about the upside of the internet. I mean, there are places all over the world where it's become a, a forum that brings people together to support Um, freedom of expression, uh, human rights. Of course, authoritarian regimes recognize that, uh, which is why they're so determined to block off access uh, to that kind of information. We've seen Putin doing that in Russia. Uh, We've seen uh, President Xi do it in China. Uh, And so it is a challenge for us to make sure that uh, that model is not exported Uh, to countries around the world, which which China is certainly trying to do in places like Africa, where uh, we have many nominees appointed to be uh, ambassador. So I just look forward to following up with you. I also serve on the Appropriations Committee. The authorizers have, I think, on a bipartisan basis supported this mission, and I want to make sure that the appropriators do. So in the interest of time, I look forward to continuing the conversation uh, with you down the road. Thank you, Senator. It's mutual. Thank you. Um, let me let me turn, if I could to uh, you, Ambassador Tamlin, and i heard your opening statement uh, from my office and appreciate your answers to questions uh, here. Uh, so the DRC, as you well know, is an incredibly complicated place with all sorts of rivalries and conflicts, especially in the East. And my question for you is, What do you think is at the heart of those conflicts, and what can you do as a U.S. ambassador to try to address them in the long-term interests of of stability uh, in the DRC?
6: Thank you, Senator. Um, That's a really important question because I think too often we get um, derailed by saying, he did something, they did something, somebody did something, who's to blame? And you really have to look at the root causes of the conflict And um, in my view, it has to do with um, lack of governance and it has to do with a very valuable part of the country in terms of its natural resources. So there is inevitably competition um, both inside the country as well as outside the country for access to those resources. And in the absence of a strong government providing services to the people, you have um, instead a whole network of, of armed groups which provide some form of local governance, but usually not a very good form of local governance. So what can we do to tackle this situation? Um, We need to work very closely with regional organizations and with uh, leaders um, in the region to make sure that tension is de-escalated, that the region does not fall into another conflict, because we've seen how devastating that was. So it's very important that leaders get the message, and believe me, the State Department has been messaging recently to leaders on the importance of reducing tensions of cooperating and having dialogue with neighbors and using those regional bodies and mechanisms to try to resolve conflicts. I think also some of our programming, which tries to address root causes of conflict, which can be um, traced to exploitation of minerals in a non-sustainable and a non-accountable, non-transparent way. If we can address that, that helps some of those local grievances. And again, supporting the government to be the kind of government that provides the security and services to the people that they aspire for.
14: Well, thank you for uh, hitting on all those points, and I know that uh, Senator Booker raised the issue of rare earth minerals in his opening statement. That obviously is part of what's at the heart of this, um, a lot of these conflicts, and so look forward to working with you on that as well. Uh, I, I do want to bring to your attention um, a, a great Marylander who has been very involved in the DRC. Um, his name is Pastor Weaver. He's the pastor of one of the largest AME churches uh, in Maryland. He is the president of the Pan African Collective. Um, He's established a school, uh, the Weaver School, uh, in the DRC uh, that has over 900 students in primary and secondary uh, school, um, 20% of them orphans. Uh, Our former ambassador, Mike Hammer, um, visited the school, and so my ask of you is once you get settled, Uh, there, if you would also go out to see the school. I think it's a great example of the faith-based community here in the United States uh, supporting important humanitarian and educational efforts uh, in Africa.
6: Thank you, Senator. If confirmed, it would be my pleasure to go and visit. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I'm very grateful for you, Senator Cardin. Um, So I'm going to get my Schiffer questions done. Prepare yourself, sir. There'll be five questions. I hope you can answer them as quickly as possible. Then we will have procedural questions. uh, And then I think we're a wrap. So Mr. Schiffer, uh, obviously there's a crisis in Sri Lanka right now. Uh, The president fled and resigned amongst uh, a really full-scale economic crisis and protests. Uh, There was a new uh, Sri Lankan president that was elected by the parliament, very closely affiliated, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your views here. But I imagine it's unfortunately, uh, that doesn't have public confidence. Uh, I'm really wondering about USAID and what we could do to sort of guide or alter our policies there and how we might respond quickly to support any meaningful democratic process, uh, uh, institution capacity building, civil society bolstering uh, in, in the weeks and months ahead. Thank
8: you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I mean, the, the, the situation in, in Sri Lanka has been uh, truly. Um, in a different way, but similar to Burma, tragic over the past uh, several months. Um, uh, my understanding is that the that, that USAID has sought to engage to provide for the immediate humanitarian assistance uh, given the economic crisis uh, on the ground in uh, in Sri Lanka, and that uh, we the USAID is part of the larger uh, set of activities to coordinate with other partners in the region, uh, including through the Quad. Uh, to look to um, support uh, proper governance uh, in, in Sri Lanka. I think this is a, uh, a long-term uh, rebuilding process. Um, it's uh, I- an issue that, if confirmed, uh, I do intend to, to look at closely and come back to this committee and to you uh, to, to consult and to get your guidance.
0: I really hope we can have that conversation. All right, sir, this is the speed round. Four last questions, the last chance this committee is going to have to verbally question you before you leave us. We all have abandonment issues as senators, so prepare yourself. Uh, your first question, you are an Asia esper- expert, correct? Uh, allegedly. Uh, then you will be able to tell me, sir, the Han Dynasty from, in China from the year 200 B.C. to the year 220 A.D., what were the three biggest accomplishments of the Han Dynasty? <laughs> Let the record show you could not answer. (laughs) Um, Number two, sir, um, there is a significant movement going on in parts of Asia that you, I'm sure, have heard of. It's called K-pop. Could you please tell me your three favorite male K-pop bands?
8: Uh, There is only one... K-pop band, and that is BTS, so that's, that, that, that's my answer. That is wrong,
0: and <laughs> let the record show that you got yet another answer wrong. And then finally, you know that modern mathematics was really innovated in Asia, uh, the extraordinary accomplishments in math and science. So my final question for you, sir, three wrong answers for an Asia expert, <laughs> uh, but my final question for you, sir, is what is the square root of 1,256?
8: Do, am, am I allowed to call on a family member? You know?
0: cannot phone a friend, <laughs> sir. Let, let the uh, record show you're 0 for 3 and your final moments. Uh, Before the United States Senate uh, highest longest serving committee the Foreign Relations Committee what an ignominious way to end sir Um, uh, And I'm very disappointed in you uh, But however, you are greatly still loved by people on both sides of the aisle. Your service has been extraordinary I want to say right now. I've got to do these perfunctory questions. They're important though I I would hope that there would be a hearty yes Uh, from all of you in unison. Uh, You do not have to harmonize your yeses, but I'd like to hear them if possible. Uh, Do you agree to appear before this committee and make officials from your office available to the committee and designated staff when invited? Yes. Yes. Uh, Let the record show I heard yeses from all of them. Number two, do you commit to keep this committee fully and currently informed about the activities under your purview? Yes. Uh, Let the record show I heard all the yeses. Uh, Number three, do you commit to engaging in meaningful consultation while policies are being developed, not just providing notification after the fact? Yes. 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 That was not as loud and vocal, but I did hear (laughs) everyone. The last question is, do you commit to promptly responding to requests for briefing and information requested by the committee and its designated staff? Yes. Yes. Thank you very much. I, I want to conclude by saying what I said at the top, Mr. Ranking Member. These are extraordinary Americans. Uh, you all have very distinguished uh, service under your belt in the public and the private sector. You are now taking posts of critical importance uh, that are not only of critical strategic uh, uh, national security and economic possibility importance for our nation, but also as uh, leaders on this planet, uh, really important for humanity. Um, There is a story about Abraham Lincoln at a time when he was uh, trying to hold our nation together, another time of crisis, and he finished this incredible speech that you all know, the second inaugural address, with malice towards none, with charity towards all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Afterwards, he was at a reception, and people were crowding around him, pulling him in, in different directions, but he was pushing through the crowd to find his friend. The friend almost didn't get in. He was an African-American man until someone recognized this regal man, uh, yet humble in spirit, and they brought him into the reception. Lincoln found this black man and said to him, I must know what you thought of my speech. And the man, again, regal in in stature, but humble of spirit, said, Mr. President, you should attend to your other guests. And he, he waved him off and said, I need to know what you thought of my speech. My friend, please tell me. Now, this would be the last time in American history these two men would ever speak to each other. And as Lincoln waited, the great Frederick Douglass spoke up. And he said, Mr. President, it was a sacred effort, a sacred effort. You all, should you be confirmed, are continuing that spirit in this country. The work you do is sacred. The difference that you can make will be extraordinary. I wish you and your families the best on the journey that you are about to embark upon. And may God bless you and always bless the United States of America. There will be questions for the record. I thank my ranking member. And now I need to enter two letters into the record uh, before gaveling out and they are here. Um, I'd like to, uh, uh, without objection from my colleague and my friend, uh, I'd like to introduce two letters for the record in support of Mr. Fick's nomination. No objection being heard. It is so ordered. Again, the record will remain, uh, for this hearing will remain open until the close of business on Thursday, August 4th. Please ensure that questions for the record are submitted no later than that date. And as you heard from Senator Menendez, please make them thorough. Again, uh, congratulations to the nominees, families. Please, please.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I would just say, look, the United States Senate has not only the responsibility for advice and consent, but also for the oversight, and thus the reason for the questions by the chairman as to being able to appear. And it's a very important part of the job that we have here. And I thank you for your answers in that specific regard, but also for, once again, as we've all tried to express, your interest in serving our country, and in particular, your families participation as well, which is sometimes very, very challenging. And with that, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to thank you for uh, the um, the hairless, or I should say airless way in which you <laughs> conducted yourself today
0: with this committee hearing. Thank you. With that final dad joke, uh, this <laughs> hearing is adjourned.